This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. What is a smart house? Have you ever been asked that? For the longest time, I didn't care what that meant, which is incredible when you consider that I work in a data center where the ideas of the whole world live. But when I learned that my home could not only automate having my coffee and environment ready for me, but it could potentially predict what I needed and when I needed it and then deliver it for me, I sat up and took notice. So I invited my colleague Brent Benston to come and talk to us about the world of smart devices. Brent is the chief technology officer at QTS data centers with a long pedigree in the world of technology. His whole world today is making some of the most complex and important buildings on earth smart. But it begins at home, as he explains. So join us for an incredible conversation into the potential of smart on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Brett, I guess let's just dive right in. How would you describe a smart home to someone who who only knows it as a buzzword? Like they don't know what does that mean? If you could demystify it, what's a smart home? That's funny that you asked because I think my wife constantly asks why and what <laughs> and who and what, smart smart what. Um, but you know, it, there, there are a lot of terms kind of in in our industry that get over overused, cloud and edge and things like that. But for smart home, I really think it is actually really really appropriate for what it's talking about. It's it's trying to take what is a very physical thing, your your home, and try to add intelligence to it. Um, and I think it's just as simple as that. And I think the difference that, you know, that becomes really, you know, passionate for people like me is how you make it different, right? So mm -hmm. how you make that brain work. Um, and, you know, everybody's different, you know, just like a human, just like you're different than me and I'm different than you. And, you know, people that we walk around, the, our brains are all work differently. And so when you talk about a smart home, there's, there's just not one size that fits all, right? There's one mm -hmm. size that fits me. And then they, you know, the next person who walks in fits them. and I think that's the challenge, but it's also the opportunity, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and to me, this space is still, even though it's been around for a long time, is so nascent that we're going to see such massive gains over the, over the coming years uh, that it's just going to be, there's going to be companies wiped off the face of the planet. There's going to be companies that, that shoot, you know, shoot up and, and, and it's just going to be so different. But Getting back to your initial question, which I varied off of, I just think smart home means taking the things that you used to do very manually and doing them without thinking about them. Mm. And I think that's the smart element. So when you walk into a room, lights turn on. When you walk out of the room, lights turn off. Things like that. And again, mm -hmm. we can get into examples that are way more complex than that. Mm -hmm. But that at the end of the day is smart. And mm -hmm. it's just trying to take something that has been traditionally not very intelligent and has had no means of being intelligent because it's been purely physical and based on a human interaction and taking that and, and letting computers do it. So it's, 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 it's like, as you interact with your, in this case, home environment, the environment interacts with you in a way that you've told it to either it came by default out of the box with a certain setting and you've installed this, or you've in some way told it, Hey, I, it, I mean, it's not a very good example, but I'm imagining my car. When I got it, it just sort of came with, here's the seat, pedal, and steering wheel setting. But I could adjust it to where I wanted, and then I could set it in the memory. And now when I get in the car, it 
I have to push the button. It's not fully automated, but then it just adjusts to me. So that's not really a smart car, but that's an interaction of my vehicle. Whereas before, I had to do all of that manually. It doesn't recognize that it's me and then just do it for me. Yeah, but I would say take that a step further. And you said like kind of the smart car concept, which is instead of you getting in and hitting a button and it moving the CTU, <clears throat> it's smart enough to know Dave's coming. Dave's, you know, Dave uh, is, is the last setting we had for him is this. Right. And so, and, and automatically doing that. So you don't have to hit the button. You don't have to take the time to adjust the seat. It's those types of things that the smart, that at least in my instantiation of a smart home right. aim to do, which is to take the things that used to be rote functions. Hey, duh, if I'm in a room, I need light if it's dark. Right. right. Hey, duh, if it's dark outside, the lights need to go on and in this sequence or whatever. It's it's things that were just rote functions that, yes, there was a tool that did it, like the button in your seat. You could right. hit the button in your seat and it would move. But why did why hit the button if you can have something do it and do it systematically right. in a way that adapts to life and adapts to, you know, again, programmatically adapts to whatever the settings might be. One day it gets dark at 7 p.m. The next day it gets dark at 7.05 and the next day at 7.10. Right. Why not have a tool that's smart enough to realize, hey, the, the, you know, the sun's changing its position. So we're going to change our time for starting lights. You know, right. it all feeds together into this. Your, your, your seat is a, is a start to it, but it's right. very it, it, we're, we're trying to get way, way ahead of that. Yeah. For some reason, you remind me of Anne Hathaway. Yeah, that's the image you can't, that, that I'm uh, thinking of uh, in Devil Wears Prada, where she she becomes <laughs> so familiar with her boss's requirements and, you know, she like that hyper personal yeah. assistant, right? Before she gets there, she's got everything laid out. She knows that it's this day. So she expects these things and she expects this drink. And she, without being told, she collects this laundry and takes it to this. Like she's just sort of moving around her such that her boss in this movie is not even paying attention. Every now and then may need to adjust or you know, whatever, as the devil does. But, you know, it's this sort of this moving around. And she learned it, but it, it's this automated, personalized um, interaction. I think you're exactly right. And I think, the, you know, the, the, the part that you're hinting at there, which I don't know if you're leading the witness or not, but I think it's an interesting <laughs> lead, which is, you know, a lot of what her brain adapted to in that situation was the scenes that she was seeing every day and over and over and over again, right? Right. And a lot now with computers and this concept of AI and stuff like that is exactly what we're trying to train things to do, mm -hmm. which is adapt to, hey, I saw Brent come in and out at 7 a.m. every day. Maybe I'm going to be smart enough now to start his car at 702. Right? right. It's those things that don't really take me writing additional code to do that or using additional smart features. It's simply learnings that happen if we allow them to. Right. And right. a lot of people have concerns around privacy and wait, then my within Google knows where I am or my smart home knows where I am and like what all that stuff. So th there, there are, there are definitely side effects and I want to be really careful to say that I appreciate those and I understand them and, and right. I share those, some of those concerns, but if you're willing to let those things kind of go and let the computers learn more about what it is you're doing and let these tools learn more about what you're doing to your point in the devil wears Prada, we could get that routine. So almost so perfect that short of you changing or wanting a change to that routine our computers can know, put the coffee cup there, put the this there, put the that there, put my paper here, put my, you know, all of that can happen now. And right. before, you know, before there was this concept of smart homes, that, that couldn't happen. You would wake up, you would walk to the driveway, get your newspaper, you would walk inside, right? Now I can have the newspaper read to me based on when I walk down the stairs because I have a proc sensor that knows I'm there, knows where my phone is, right? It's just those types of things that are 
can you do them in a very analog way still? You can. But right. can you use digital enhancements to make that experience more like what you would in the Devil Wears Prada example right. expect? I expect I have high expectations of what my tools do for me every day. Now, right. my daughter walking down the stairs, she could care less. All she wants <laughs> is her Snapchat to work and doesn't care if the lights are on or lights are off. Right. Right. So knowing those differences fundamentally is is where these smart concepts. And again, it's going to take so much learning, right. so much data to really make a story that's really compelling here. But I, I, I would say that's the part that really interests me. So so. Help me to understand. I this may be leading the witness because I do know you a little bit. But when were you sitting around, feet up, chilling out as you do, um, <laughs> saying, "I need to make this place smarter"? And did you start with a particular thing? Did somebody inspire you? Did you see it somewhere else, or did you read it somewhere and you just said, "You know what? I'm sick and tired of my coffee or tea not being ready or what, whatever it is." Right? And and you said, "I need to." I need to automate this, this thing. And in like, a, I expect like a lot of things, once you get started on a journey like that, you just can't stop. How'd you get started and why did it fascinate you? So it's an interesting question. Um, you know, the reality is I've always been a, a, you know, a geek about these types of things, anything that I can get my hands on that's got any form of computing power into it, I'm going to play with, uh, uh-huh. whether that's a remote control or, a, or, a you know, a remote control car, RC kind of anything. Right. Right. Um, and I think that the initial need honestly came out of, uh, we had in my parents' house so much struggle with the most basic of getting a universal remote to control all the various <laughs> devices. I literally, that's where it started. And it was like every day it was, wait, I hit the power on button and one thing turned on and one thing didn't turn on and the next thing and the blah, 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 blah. And, and as probably many people know, that was all IR based, you know, so it was very line of sight and, and, you know, there was technology entering the space at that time that was, you know, RF based and it was, Hey, how do we use this to know I got it? You know, I got a definitive back or a response back from the technology I'm trying to control. It says the behavior you asked me to do, I actually committed. Right. right. So TV turned on. Well, I'm not just guessing that an IR signal was sent there and it turned on. And so I'm going to do my next sequence. Right. And, and that's where it kind of started, which was like this whole idea of like, wait a minute, like, how can we get to a point where we can control just the most basic like AV setup in a smarter way? And right. then where, where it went from there was, you know, my family was fortunate enough to purchase a second home uh, that we weren't at all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it became a scenario of, you know, we wanted to know what was happening there when we weren't there. And it was more than cameras. It was, you know, do we have water on the floor? You know, has one of our pipes burst and mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that ultimately, you know, then compelled to, well, well, don't we really want to know if the security system's armed or not armed? And, and so we really started to outfit that home more on the smart side to be giving us telemetry than actually really to be smart. It was like, this, it was a weird paradigm shift. It was like, no, no, no. We just wanted it as like almost life safety. Right. And so we did so much work to get this life safety elements work that it was like, okay, how do we reverse those back into our real primary area where we spend, you know, the disproportionate majority of our living life. Right. And then it was just from there, it was like, okay, what tools are available? How can I do this? What panel can I change? And it just became this thing that, yeah, I, I you know, I have suffered for years and you and I have talked about this from just tremendous, tremendous anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways for me to control that anxiety is to keep my brain completely engaged as best I can, as frequently as I can. 
And some people will be like, wait, you're just kind of masking your anxiety with other things or whatever. And that's probably a little bit true. Yeah. But I'll tell you that keeping my brain active is the is the most sane thing for me and for my family. And and the best way for me to keep my brain active is tinkering. Right. And the tinkering I like to do is with technology. And so it's like, okay, what technology could I tinker with that moves the dial for me and my family? Well, it's kind of smart home. And you know, if you asked my wife or my kids and said, Hey, if we ripped out all the smart stuff tomorrow, would you care? I think every one of them would be like, I don't even know what is it? Like, <laughs> because again, because like it's, it's important to me as an activity, but it's also important to me because I see the benefits of it. Right. And, you know, I think my kids now have been raised. The majority of their lives have been around this smart thing where they walk down the Christmas tree lights, turn on at seven 15 and they turn off at 10 15. They're just used to it. Right. And so if all of a sudden, like the Christmas tree light <laughs> wasn't turning on, I'm not sure that my kids would be there, sit there and be like, wait a minute. How, like, how does that, how do you turn that on? Right. Like, is there a switch? Like what? Right. It just does it. Like right. it's just kind of like magic. Right. right? And so anyway, um, that's no, where it started and that's kind of where it's going. Kind of like indoor, pl- you know, we, we take, I know it sounds crazy. We take indoor plumbing and heated water, you know, but that is a, in the spectrum of human existence, a just showed up invention, you know, um, in terms of being in everybody's home of all social strata, you don't have to go outside to go to the bathroom. And so there was a period of time where when that plumbing started showing up, uh, you know, communities of people were like, well, how did this happen? What's going on? This is my way. I turned this knob and it's, and it's warm. And then why did it run out? Like it, it's fascinating. I guess as, as you, first of all, I do know you, I've heard you say you're an ex, um, obsessive tech geek. I've seen it. I think it, it um, serves you well. Uh, I, also uh, suffer from anxiety. If I keep my brain active, I do best when I've got a dozen things running in my brain at the same time. I don't do great. Some very, very deep, most of them shallow, but they've got it. It's got to be active. And I do need moments of stillness, but I don't really recharge when it's completely quiet because my brain just starts bouncing off of places. But that, I guess where I want to go with that then is, so now you've been on this project. How long have you in your home now, have you, I know you started as a kid with the universal and doing this other remote thing, but in your home with your family, um, when did you get really serious? How long ago about automating this thing? I mean, it's gotta be a combination of tools available, um, beyond just sort of the life safety and doing these things and just starting saying, Hmm, this is fun. How do I engage with this? How long have you been doing that? You know, I'd say I started kind of, we built a, we built our home in 2010, actually started in late 2009, finished in <clears throat> mid 2010. Mm-hmm. And I think it was then when we installed kind of the first version of a, of a smart switch. So a Z-Wave basic kind of switch. And honestly, we installed it then because, you know, electricians were outfitting the whole house. And so it was a question of, Hey, can we just go put these in? I don't think we really, really made real use of it until probably 2013 or 2014 ish, probably, mm. um, you know, interesting sidebar, smart things, which is a tool that I use pretty heavily <clears throat> now been acquired, you know, numerous times, you know, but it was started by a, a gentleman that I worked with, um, at a, at a little company, uh, called seven space. His name was mm. Andrew Brooks. He was one of the founders of, of, uh, of the technology in, you know, kind of very early smart home, the first kind of smart, smart things. And, um, and so it was, you know, 2000, it probably, it was probably started 2008 ish, 2009, something, mm-hmm. uh, it was a Kickstarter, uh, that just, you know, went, went, went from there, a great success story. And, 
Um, and that's kind of where I started playing with it was when Andrew and our friend Brian Winter uh, started talking about it. And Brian actually said his comment was, I never want anything in my house to be automated. Like it was, he, he was a, you know, and it was a kind of a tongue in cheek thing or whatever. And right. he, he subsequently left seven space and went to work or not seven space at the time, Carpathia went to work for smart things before they were acquired right. uh, by Samsung. But um, the, you know, the, the technology in its, in its infancy has been around for, you know, for maybe 10, 12 years ish. Mm-hmm. But over the last couple of years, the, the speed and the pace of innovation in terms of kind of how devices talk to each other, the ecosystem of interoperability between things has really progressed pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, and there's been just so much talk about there's this, there's these interconnect kind of open standards now called Thread and Matter, uh, which are aiming to basically take that interoper take that interoperability to the next level, which is like just make everything a sensor and make everything a reader. And if right. everything can sense and everything can read, kind of the platform becomes less dependent, which means the amount of development that we'll see by kind of just companies that kind of come from nowhere that are taking all these touch points and making an ecosystem out of it. So you know, a smart home in a box where you just, you know, you, like you said, you unwrap this thing. You're like, oh, what's this? And you put it down and all of a sudden it's like, right. what do you want? What do you want to happen? Do you want us <laughs> to learn you? Do you want us to just do this? Do you want us to, like, that's coming. Like whether people want to, you know, it's not the Jetsons yet, yet. Right. But the, the day and age of that, you know, of that experience, in my opinion, is coming. Because once Apple enters the market, which they've now pretty heavily done, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's game on. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to the day when we, I'm going to confess here. I don't think my audience has ever heard this. My wife, this, this part they've heard, my wife's half Japanese, my, and, and half Irish. My kids love the um, Korean and Japanese culture. And so we shop a lot. They shop a lot. Our local markets are Asian markets. So we get a lot of fresh food with the best of intentions to make all these fresh meals. We come home tired or we get interrupted. And so six days later, that beautiful Asian cabbage is now (laughs) a soup we didn't create. Right. And so it's uh, it doesn't look or whatever. Like, what's this mystery vegetable we just found? And so I believe that there will be a day. So we throw a lot of stuff, unfortunately, away or um, but that as I almost like, you know, uh, inventory management, as you bring stuff into your pantry or your refrigerator or whatever, at some point, I don't know if it's RFID, I don't know what the technology or print on labels or whatever, but if um, maybe in the beginning, I'm just barcoding it as I bring it in, but whatever to, at some point you bring resources into your home uh, and it will tell you where they are, when the expiration is, uh, you want it, you throw it in your microwave, you just tell it go and it reads the barometric pressure and the, you know, it knows all the things because it's connected to the sensors in the home. It knows what it is that you've put in there, whether you tell it or not, it, it, it can weigh it, it can read the label or whatever these mechanisms are. It just That may be down the road a ways. I'm not trying to say that it's easy, but it's, <clears throat> I don't, it's, I don't think it's that not it's as far, that far. It's, it's not as, it's not as far as you think. And, yeah. and this is going to sound terrible, but we, we basically do it today, but we do it not using our computers to tell us we use Amazon's computers to tell us. Right. So right. I don't know if in your area, Amazon grocery is available, but yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't give you the Asian experience that you're, that you were just talking about. Cause right. by, by the way, my son is a huge fan of, of anything Japanese culinary. I, I don't know where he got it from. I, <laughs> we, I, I really don't know, but right. he attempted to make bulgogi, uh, oh, a yeah, weeks bulgogi ago. all the time. Yeah. So uh, maybe if he could share a recipe, cause his did not <laughs> turn out exactly how we want it, but, yeah. 
Um, that being said, the, you know, the, the, the way it becomes interesting for us is, you know, Amazon has gone with this concept of, you know, they have these grocery stores that are walk in, walk out, no, no, no registered concept. And the way that works and the technology of the cameras and the fittings and, and how they do weighing and, and all that stuff is, is really, really advanced and, and way too expensive to ever deploy in a home. But the, the extrapolation from that, if I'm using as my exclusive provider, just, just bear mm -hmm. with me, yeah. you know, as groceries is Amazon. And every, you know, every week I order the same Ritz crackers on a weekly cadence. Well, Amazon gets smart enough to realize that when I'm building out my cart, that I'm probably out of Ritz crackers, right? And so the concept of knowing what's in your fridge, weighing it, understanding, sc scanning, barcoding, all that stuff. The challenge you've got there is the humans don't want to do that. Mm. They don't want to do any amount of, well, I just picked up a <clears> bag <throat> of bagels. I'm going to put a barcode on it. I just picked up a bag of bagels. I'm going to scan it. I'm, they, they, that's too much work. Right. Right. So it has to be done upstream of the, of the home, in my opinion. Right? So right. As things are entering the home, a manifest is being created that says these are the things that entered. And these are the things that that are consumed because they're being re-entered. Right. right. The one off is, hey, do I, did I buy something for Christmas? And, you know, I didn't need it two weeks later. Yeah. But the algorithms have to learn that. That's part of learning profiles. Right. It's the same way you or I walk to the fridge, open the door, look in there and say, OK, I got to order milk. Right. The same things computers are doing. They're just doing it with a manifest that's not from your fridge. It's from what brought it to your fridge. Right. Right. And that to me is, again, we use it heavily uh, today. My family uses it. We Nine out of 10 times when we order groceries on a weekly basis, we're not looking at anything. We're not looking in our pantry. We're not looking at our refrigerator. We're simply going by what Amazon has said. You're likely going to need milk. You're likely going to need eggs. You're likely going to need whatever. Right. Does it work perfectly that we always end up with exact amount of eggs we want to have in the fridge? No. Has there been weeks where we've consumed less eggs and we end up with extra eggs? Absolutely. So it's not perfect, right. but the concept of manifest of this like smart, you know, smart consumption of, of groceries, Amazon and, and uh, Whole Foods and those folks, they're working incredibly hard. And I'll tell you what, that's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be that. It's going to be far less about outfitting your refrigerator with smart sensors that look at cameras and know what's in there versus what's not in there. Right. I, you know, and I could see where, how valuable that would be to, um, the upstream, uh, supply chain. You know, if I'm going, if I'm informing all the way to the manufacturer, to the grower, to the shipper or whatever, I've got a pretty good predictive model, um, how well that can inform at any given time, what, uh, you know, what the world looks like as we keep these products, either I as a consumer or they as a producer, where, where are we looking at with our inventory supply? And, you know, if, if I see a hurricane coming or, I mean, there's so many things that you could extrapolate. Look, the, the people who participate in this profile have this much food, water, whatever. How's that going to impact with this weather event? And that, maybe that's a little bit too Orwellian, but I, but it, you know, you could see where this could be an interconnected world to the degree that you're comfortable with privacy settings and sharing your data. But um, it's almost a way to inoculate yourself from uh, unexpected outages. And that's, I think, again, it comes back to me. And I think you're absolutely right, Dave. And, and the reality is there is some element of privacy. You're going to have people who are like, I don't want Amazon to know anything about what groceries I want. So I'm going to buy them in my local grocery store. Great, whatever. But I do think at some level, <clears throat> the amount of sharing that has to happen as those ecosystems go back and expand and expand and expand to give mm -hmm. a common set of telemetry that enables those types of decisions to be made. You know, Amazon's not going to be the only grocery store on the face of the planet, right? right? And if they are, it's probably a problem. 
right? But if they're not, and you have whoever insert provider here, Walmart, let's use as a good example. Right. They're also up and coming in the space, right? right? Not up and coming. They're 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 a behemoth, right. right? And so and so if you say, hey, Amazon, your supply chain, which has made you what you are, and Walmart, your supply chain, which has made you what you are, are you willing to open source some piece of that to allow an exchange of those systems to understand that we buy lettuce, you buy lettuce? Let's tie them together to know that when we're buying lettuce, the global, you know, the global supply is X versus Y. And when do we need to adjust that? That interoperability has to happen. And, and those walls are so, so tall and so, so strong right now, right. which is everybody in the B2B space or B2C space is like, no, no, this is my kingdom. This is my kingdom. This is my kingdom. This is what makes us special. You know, Amazon wants to own all their planes, wants to own all their distribution, wants to own all their last mile, which again, gives them really good business. And I'm not saying it's, a, it's not a bad business principle. Right. I'm simply saying that with the sharing, that <clears throat> sharing enables those things that you were talking about, which as a society probably makes us better. Again, I'm not, I shouldn't be, right. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be waxing no. poetic on societal challenges, but Why I not? will tell you that share, sharing, sharing in my view of the data is caring only in the sense that it gets us back to this kind of this supply chain or supply demand curve that gets it more in line with real-time reality of what the situation is. So you don't get oversupply, you don't get undersupply in scenarios where you can manage that. Um, and, and, you know. Yeah. We're going to take a 90 second rabbit trail. Here we go. So the other day I was speaking in California, San Jose, I'm not going to name the name of the people on the panel, but they're the largest hyperscale type folks on earth. And one of those organizations had the head of, I don't know if it was solution engineering or all of engineering, um, wor worldwide name, everybody would know this company. And that person said, we were talking about energy in this case, data center, the interaction of data center and, and their consumption of their own data centers or operators like us data centers. And one of the things that this person was saying, and they had on there another, um, a buyer of energy services for one of the other, you know, if not the largest, certainly one of the largest hyperscales on earth. So very sophisticated buyers and engineering people. And, and this person was saying, look, in order for us to reach levels of efficiency, we have to have um, data and interoperability with our partners that looks like this. And he laid out this really intriguing um, hypothesis. And in this particular panel, they allowed questions from the audience, which was hilarious because somebody said, any questions... And I raised my hand and sitting next to me was Travis Wright. And he said, oh, no, here we go. So <laughs> I agree with Travis on that one for the record. <laughs> oh, no, here we go. <clears throat> so I raised my hand and with joy and they responded with joy. And I said, hey, let me. I, so you're saying this, this and this, which is in a sense what you just described about these two um, market leaders that we were talking about, Amazon and Walmart. You just described um, the value of this sort of information. Here's good news. Organizations like mine and my CTO, I didn't say your name, but I said my CTO, has created tools with APIs and all this other stuff. But my question to you, sir, is how much are you going to allow us to interact with you? How, how vulnerable are you going to allow yourself? How transparent? Are you going to sit down at the table, not, not your sales teams or whatever, but your innovation teams with my innovation team. So we can find a way to interlace these things um, because you're going to have to make yourself by vulnerable. I don't mean to attack or whatever. I just mean, let us see some secret sauce so that we can interconnect. So you can get all of these things you want. Believe it or not, we're well down that path. We would love to. And he kind of got the sheepish smile and said, well, not yet. 
and and I, I mean, that was fun. And I turned to the other person, this woman, and she laughed and said, yeah, not yet. Like they want it. We want it. I get it. But, you know, it's a it's a tough barrier because we haven't done business like that forever and nobody wants to be vulnerable. I get it. But at some point to 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 realize maximum efficiency, which benefits the environment, which benefits cost of goods to consumers, which benefits the speed of which we can produce all of these other things and brings some uh, vulnerability if it's not done well. So there needs to be standards and a, you know strong agreements on how we do these things. But we can realize all of these benefits. And I'm not trying to say it in a naive Pollyanna way. We have worked for small companies that getting through payroll this quarter is important. I get it. But it is, I feel like the organizations that find a way to build that consortium and do it well, they're going to dominate the world. Yeah, I mean, th- thanks for the the thanks for my pitch back to me. I guess I think that's I think that was my pitch to my pitch, but um, it no, was because I, mean, I believe it. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's right, and I think again, it, it it is it is still. If we think the smart home was early days, the smart home is ten days ahead of smart industry. I'll call it right. uh, or ten years. Sorry, um, yeah. you know the the reality is, you know, industry because of the fact that there's this concept of proprietor proprietariness. Right. Which just says, Hey, no, we built this and it's ours. And if we give it to anybody else, they're going to take and run with it. Right. That, that builds a, a, a tough exterior on a lot of these discussions. And I think at the end of the day, what QTS has been doing, I know this is not about QTS, but what we've been trying to do is, you know, when we opened state, when we, when we released our first API years and years ago, five plus years ago, now our first thing was to just open source it. Like guys, we don't, we don't want this to be proprietary. We don't want this. We, we, we want how we use the data to be proprietary. Certainly. Right. But we don't want our, our ownership of the data to feel proprietary. Right? right. So we want you to feel like you can use that data and make business decisions that help your business. And a lot of companies that now do business with us have leveraged that mm-hmm. and leveraged it to reduce their footprint sustainability, to yeah. reduce their consumption or whatever. And, 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 and we're just one piece of that puzzle, right? Yeah. Are we a huge energy consumer? We are. But we're one piece, right? If everybody was to do that and and let's just say, you know, insert, you know, large autonomous car company here, right? Mm-hmm. And let's just say they come up with a way that based on, you know, the frequency curves of electricity, they can optimize their compute by X percent, right? And and they come up with a model that does that. They deploy it for them. Well, what benefit? I mean, great, great that benefits them, and I get that. But if that's reducing their impact. Why not let it impact Walmart? Let, why not let it impact Amazon? Why not let it impact others, right? And that's the part that, again, secret sauce, yes. Open right. standard, kind of, right? <laughs> where do we get to this point where the utility itself is getting smarter? And the utility in this case is electricity, right? How are we getting to being better consumers of that? That, at the end of the day, is like that professionally is what I'm all about, right? What, how can I give customers like the ones you were on stage with a couple of days ago, Right. How can I give them an experience that drops that amygdala response of no, 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 that's our data. Right. How does it drop that? And how does it become a, wait a minute, all you want is like that? Oh, I mean, that's not even identifiable as, as, right. as our data. Like who, who, who cares? Like a KWH or an AMP or what? Like, oh, we, oh, okay. We don't, oh, but how we're using it. Oh, you want that? No, no, no. How, well, we're not telling them to you what you're using it. Like, oh, oh, so we can. And so again, it, it, it takes a while to get there and we're in early days, but until you have tooling and telemetry to tell you what it is, that's the first step. Yeah. And it's tying us all back to smart homes. That's the first step. Like I told you when I deployed that first switch, 
the first, you know, Intermatic was the first company that came out and said, hey, this little paddle switch, we're going to put in a Z-Wave chip that right. can be controlled by Z-Wave. At the time, nobody knew how to put a Z-Wave mesh network up. No, no, no provider even had a tool that could understand Z-Wave, right? right? And so it became this like, okay, I got a switch and they have to be smart enough to realize, make it like an actual switch or else nobody could use it. So it was an actual switch and it was Z-Wave. So you paid, if a normal switch, I'll make it up. If a normal switch is a dollar, you paid 40 bucks for this switch because it had a Z-Wave chip in it. And like I said, for three or four years, that Z-Wave chip sat there and collected dust, did nothing, didn't know how to use it, didn't want to use it, didn't have a way to use it. But then all of a sudden, Times change, technology changes, tools change. And it was like, oh, wait, oh, all those switches we, we paid 40 bucks for, we should probably use them. Oh, smart things. Smart things can talk Z-Wave. Oh, great. Let's go. Do- hey, look at that. Kristen, name my wife. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, you can just turn on the lights by hitting this panel instead of these switches. Or, right. hey, look at that. That's cool. And then all of a sudden, now it's become kind of standard. Now, is it, you know, does everybody have it? Not necessarily, but I think it's becoming more common. Does your wife or kids ever come to you and say, hey, I need you to automate or make this smart in the house. I don't want to, I want my coffee to be on or I want to whatever. Do they ever, is it you bringing the ideas or do they ever see something that's not convenient and ask you to make it more convenient? Uh, they ask, um, but it doesn't come, <laughs> but it doesn't come without some frustration. I'll be completely honest. Uh-huh. You know, um, some of the things I overcomplicate um, to, to make, to make, yeah, I mean, come on, an engineer is an engineer always, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, there, there are certainly things that my wife would argue that are unnecessarily complicated in kind of the way of sequence of operations around my house. But, right. um, you know, I think that, I think for the most part, yeah, I mean, the, you know, jokes aside, we were just talking about the Christmas tree. We carried in the Christmas tree. And the first thing I said to my son was, it's your job to fill the Christmas tree. He's like, what do you mean? Like with like water? I'm like, dude, like, really? Like he's a 12 year old. Like I, right. it, it's yeah. Water goes in this little thing. Right. And so what did it become? It became him and me, you know, debating each other on, hey, could we create something that would alarm us when the water was too low or when the water, you know, so we knew to fill it. So he didn't have to remember every single day. And so and so in my kitchen, we created this little concept using, you know, $3 sensors that I could order on Amazon to, you know, when the water level dropped to a certain level, it just turn on a green light. I was like, oh, wow, we did that. It was a little nine volt battery, a simple relay and boom, like whatever. We created a smart, you know, understanding. Well, I subsequently hopped online and was like, somebody must have already solved this. Like, I, I feel like whatever. And so I stumbled upon this site called um, Ohoho H2O. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> no. but if you haven't, if you haven't, I'd suggest you look it up. Okay. Uh, and basically what it is, is it's, it's a box. It looks like a present. It's like wrap. It looks like it's a wrap present. And inside of it is a simple bucket, basically. It's a sealed <laughs> bucket with a pump inside of it and a little controller. And all it does is it has a sensor just like the sensor we built that looks for water. And if there's no water there, it turns on a little pump until the sensor hits water and then it turns it off. And when the well gets low, an alarm goes off on the box. Fill me. Right. You unscrew the thing, you my, fill the box, close it up, waters the tree for however many days until it's you know, right. early. You know, when you just get it off the car, it's, you know, it's consuming water every day and then it's right. every week and then it's every so look at that. I made my Christmas tree watering smart too. Like, and now my son thanks me because they right. don't have to fill it every day. Yeah. I love that. We, um, we got the, uh, robot kitty or robot litter box or whatever that tells us. 
So when the cats come and go, it automatically, um, very elegantly, Rotates. yeah, empties the litter yep. box. Because I, I don't mind them having cats. We've got Maine Coons. I, to me, they're just animals. But to them, they're their, you know, loves of their life. Which, yeah. Yes. And fine. I'm cool with that. I, I want everybody to have a joyful life. I like the cats when they're okay. But, um, <laughs> but I don't want to smell them. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to see the mess. I don't want to smell the mess. And they are, they're in college and they're running around and they're, um, you know, they're forgetful of their uh, uh, agreement with me. So this thing alerts us when the litter box is full. So it cleans the litter regularly. So the cats use it regularly. Um, but then it dumps it into this drawer and we just, whether I don't even mind it, I don't tell them that, but I'll go scoop the bag up if they're busy, dump it, replace the bag. Like it's, 90 seconds, but I need my device to tell me, I don't want my nose to tell me that this thing, um, you know, needs to, uh, needs to go. So it, it works uh, genius. If well, you were to do a, if yeah. you were to do a home again, I, I don't want to say this out loud around your bride or anybody, but no, set aside the complexities of, oh, good God, why would I want to build another house? But if you were to do it again, would it be easier to make it smart now? Or would it be, cause there's so many options to do things, would it be as complicated or as hard? Oh, it'd be a thousand percent easier. Oh my yeah. gosh. It would be, I mean, and, and for the record, my wife and I want to build again. We love the process of building. Right. Um, so she's a, she's a designer. So she designed our, our home and, and we built it. Or she's designed two of our homes now that we've built and, and sold right. them subsequently. But um, yeah, I would absolutely do it again. And I would absolutely make it way more complex than it is today. Guaranteed. <laughs> Do you have Guaranteed. to be a, do you have to be a techie person? Do you think, can you just be a, a consumer? In other words, you know, there, early there days are, of, I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, yeah. I would just say that there are, there are continuums of this and okay. you know, there, there's a company uh, known as Crestron, which I'm sure, you know, uh, that, that entered the space. I don't know, more on the commercial side. I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago. I don't even know. Right. who aimed at automation, automation of the kind of the business office that then came, became residential for these very, very, very high-end homes because Crestron is very, very expensive. And so you have people who believe Crestron is an automation engine. Uh, and I work with a gentleman who, who's a big believer in, in Crestron. Um, but the, the idea of Crestron doing automation versus, you know, in costing, let's just make up numbers, a million dollars for your Crestron solution your smart home commodity solutions now are, if that's a million, a thousand bucks. So, so the, the, the continuum between Crestron's still out there, still out there doing a great job, still out there working. And if you want to go and have just a, a solution that you walk into your house and day one, everything just works, mm -hmm. Crestron's an answer mm. or, or, or control four is an answer. They're going to do a fully programmed, install it for you. You're going to walk in and you're going to expect everything to just work mm. versus the path I take, which is, bootstrap, build it all yourself and deploy it. And that's the more commodity approach or, you know, uh, of, of just doing it with piece parts, all these piece parts that all then talk to each other. Crestron 100% proprietary. My, my solution 100% open, right. right? And somewhere between there, like if you said to me, Brent, you're, you have infinite wealth, go do whatever it is you want to do in this next house that you built. I would probably say, wow, I'd like the user experience of Crestron but the flexibility of everything I've built, like, so can somebody do that for me? Right. right. And that would be like this Nirvana world. But, you know, I do think that that's what's coming. I think that's, that's the future state. How, so uh, I want to pivot just a little bit, but stay on this theme. And if this is too lumpy, then um, we'll skip it. But I, it feels like there's a correlation here. So 
In Europe right now, we have a conflict. And one of the things that that conflict, among others, has put a great strain on energy. And so not just in Europe, but around the world, we're all looking at, huh, if, if in this conflict, um, energy is, um, is significantly impact, that means that people who used to get energy from a source that's in conflict now and they can't easily get it from them, they're turning to look at other energy reserves that normally they wouldn't. They might be looking at other continents or whatever. How does this idea of a smart home, or maybe later we could talk about a smart data center, but the idea of making a facility, uh, whatever, smart, is it just about convenience or is it also about efficiency? And I, you know, I, I haven't set you up with this question, but I'm curious. It's just in my mind that if we, if we see these constraints, not just on the product of some of the products that we've talked about here, but on a product like energy or something like that, where I want to be much, I don't just want to reduce my costs. I want to reduce my footprint either because I'm environmentally conscious and I don't want to consume more um, energy than I need to. And I want to be as efficient in that as I possibly can. And also I, I want to have more energy independence and I, and I want to maintain my costs. All of those things sort of rolled in. Does any of that enter your, are, are we at a spot now where these devices can impact that in a positive way for us? Or is it too early days? No, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. And I think a lot of these businesses are predicated on the, on, on that, that notion of, of sustainability. Uh, mm -hmm. If you even look at something like, you know, Google bought a company called Nest. Uh, Nest was kind of the early entrance into, you know, smart home, um, I'll call it mechanical automation. So your HVAC systems, your heating, air conditioning control and, and doing that in a way that so when you're there, the heat drops or I'm sorry, when you're there the, and it's the winter, the heat comes on and when you're there, the heat drops. And, and that concept was initially done to, to, to try to lower bills to your point was, Hey, why pay for heating when I'm not in the house? Right. That was the idea. But what it's really quickly pivoted to was, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we save, you know, carbon footprint dramatically by doing that. And we, and, and so, so the, the upstream impacts of being smart about the way you control temperature or lighting in your home has a global impact. It, it does, right. You know, the, the, the question of that versus, you know, at, you know, let's just say your average home is eight KW or whatever, right. At the scale, you'd have to roll that out. The, the adoption you would have to have would be, <laughs> would be really significant. And I think, again, that's why it comes back to companies like, Again, not to transition back to professional, but but mm -hmm. QTS, which is sustainability at the scale we're talking about is fundamentally different, mm -hmm. right? So our ability to use the tools we've created to try to drive a sustainability footprint or a story around sustainability is 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 arguably way more important. But at a transactional volume of the smart home, the number of transactions that will be done to create that sustainability footprint inside of you know home ecosystems it's going to be massive. It has to be massive. And it's going to be driven though. I hate to say it, but this is just because the type of consumers we U S citizens are, right. It's going to be predicated on what's in it for me. And I don't right. mean the me, I mean the proverbial me. Right. right. And that's going to be driven by price. And so, so, so a lot of these sustainability things of me being smart enough to turn my kids lights off when they're not in the room, isn't driven because I'm such a good guy. I want to be green. It's driven by, I don't want to pay the KWH rate when they're not there. Right. And right. the two have to be locked together. And, and, and the scenario you made about the European, you know, the conflict there and all that stuff, I think that's driven, obviously, some, some, some immediacy to the, to the discussion, certainly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, the way our the way our electrical grids are set up in the United States and the utility of them, whether it's gas, whether it's natural gas, gas, propane, or or electricity, the 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 scale at which you as an individual consumer can impact that is minimal. So, hey, great. I turn my air conditioner on and off. Great. I save $7, whatever. The, right. the footprint expansion of that is very minimal to the grid impact at a unit. If you get everybody and you get local cooperatives and power companies going and saying, here, we're going to give you this device. And this device is going to be smart. And this device is going to give us back green, you know, give us back reduced consumption, which will, yes, the short answer is that will happen. But I think it's more on the business side that that you're going to see it happen first, uh, and then it will get its way into the smart home uh, world. But yeah, I mean that's certainly a side effect that you know if I told my wife, hey, we're saving we're saving you know trees by doing this, she'd be like, all right, let's do more of it. Right. But like it, but there, there is there is a there is a, a payback period and a drawback to the expense of doing it to make it happen. Right. Um, pivoting again, one of the fascinating. Um, things that I discovered in your, so you wrote a series of blogs, articles. I'm not, I'm not sure what the difference is depending upon the length, I suppose. And you articulate your journey and you include um, your partner in crime on that, which was your daughter. Um, don't you think this is a great educational opportunity as you, as you bring, for example, in this case, uh, one of your children along one to develop their curiosity two to develop their practical experience, uh, experience, whether this is something they, you know, it, 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 um, invigorates or stimulates and I, Oh, I want to go pursue this as a career. Maybe, maybe not. They still want to be a vet or a ballet dancer or whatever it is that they, a fencer, but it, but it feels like as you are like, what just with you described with your son and the, uh, the thing with the tree, huh? How can I solve a problem? How can I work out how to build a technology? How can I um, go do this? Do, how, how do you think that this could impact educational opportunities there in the house and just, just in general for our population around us? Yeah, I mean, it's honestly something I'm passionate about, uh, McCall. And it, it's, it's, you know, with my daughter, it was the case of, you know, just wanting to spend time with each other. <clears throat> I think it was less, you know, I think she was interested in it because I was interested in it. I'm not sure it's like something that if I said, Hey, Greta, what do you want to go do tomorrow? If you say, I want to be a coder. Right. <laughs> right. I, I just, you know, I think she, she placates me at times and says, yeah, I want to do that. And, and right. you know, my son, yeah, I want to do just because, but you know, I think what it's, what it's opened their eyes to is, is, is that, you know, STEM based kind of paths and, and engineering itself can, can be kind of fun and can be kind of applicable to real life. I think a lot of times when we're sitting in school and we're talking about engineers and we're talking about these people, it just feels so unreachable, right? Which is like this, wait, you want me to, like, I'm going to be the guy who does what? Like, I'm, I'm what? Like, it, right. how do you wrap your head around what it is that that technology that they're trying to teach you is, right? And I can remember, like, when I was in third grade, my favorite science unit was battery and batteries and bulbs. I don't know if you remember that. Maybe you're too too young, but um, you know, batteries and bulbs was my favorite. It was like, well, how do I make a series circuit versus a parallel circuit? Because it was it was it was reality. Like right. a light bulb going on goes on every day in my house. Like I wait on off. Like oh shoot, how does that work? Right, right. And so what I've tried to do with my kids, where applicable, and the story of my daughter in this particular case is because you know we we my wife challenged us one weekend to build a koi pond, right. and we couldn't just build a koi pond. 
right? We had to build a koi pond that, that was smart, right? right? Because I didn't want to have to go change the filter when the filter wasn't dirty. I wanted to know when the filter was dirty, right? right. It's a pretty common, right? Doesn't, right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and, and so Greta became this, Greta became this, this, it became our thing, which was, he would come up with these ideas of, of practical needs. Hey, Greta, go check the temperature of the water in the lower pond today. He'd be like, dad, can't we? Like, isn't there like a, Oh yeah, we can, we can put a thermistor out there and we can, we can know the temperature and we'll get it. And this is how we'll read it. And, and, and it's just that practicality piece. It's not so much the programming. It's the, it's making engineering practical for these younger, this younger generation right. that they realize, Oh wait, I, I, I can do that. And I can see the impacts immediately. Um, and I think that's what it's been for me and me and, and that one daughter. And that's just, you know, and my son, similarly, he just thinks about it differently. He thinks about it in, in, in the sense of saving him time. At the end right. of the day, if, if the kid can do anything, he wants to save himself time. Right. And so if he can do that by having a box that fills his tree, great. The, the difference is, in his case, it's a little more challenging because he doesn't yet understand the financial impacts of, oh, let's just go buy this device versus building it. Right. right? That box cost us 100 bucks, right? And it was like, wait, well, yeah, well, let's just get that. Like, wait, wait, it's $100. Right. Like it, hundred dollars doesn't just grow on a tree. Like we could, right. all I need is a raspberry pod going out in the garage and the sensor and we'll do it ourselves. Nah, it'll take too long. Like, right. okay. Like, you know, so, so there's some line between like the practicality of it and, but if it already exists and, and whatever. And, and right. so, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a great journey with my family through this whole thing and they've been supportive of me because they know it's, it's like, it's, it, it's what makes me happy at the end of the day and, and getting that, that relief of, oh, I just tinkered with something and look at that. Now all of a sudden I got the depth of the pond being read, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and so I, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey. I guarantee if you tell that story to a group of um, parents with kids in the age of your kids, if not all of them, a significant portion of them would be envious that you got your kids to participate in anything that it's practical that it um, serves a purpose, that maybe there's a value there later that can be leveraged is excellent, but it's probably secondary to, wait, you got them to engage in a conversation that didn't involve, look at this TikTok, and they came and, and well, it wasn't like a 12-hour episode. It was, you know, these minuets of time that we interacted and whatever, but still it's a fa fascinating way to do something practical. Um and, and have that kind of community interaction in your house. I think it's a let, genius. Let me be clear. You're not going to, you're not, I'm not on this podcast to talk about parenting. That's the last thing. That's the last thing you want me to talk about. But in this particular case, I was successful at convincing this one child or these two children, my middle child, a uh, whole different story. Yeah. Not interested in this in the, in the slightest. And um, if it doesn't yeah. have a ball involved, she's not going to be, she's not, she's not interested, but yeah. Um, but that being said, she has her own strengths. Uh, yeah. So no, it's it, it, you're you're right, and and I, I dig constantly at things, and I got to be careful how loud I say this, but right. I'll, I'll say it publicly. You know, a lot of it comes back to the things that I'm interested in, right? Right. So it's a it's if I'm interested in it, and she wants to sit and watch, great, right? right? And so that's you know, so so she's got to be willing, and I've got to be you know whatever. But it it typically, unfortunately for her, ends up being things that I'm more interested in than she's more interested in. Right. And that's what drives kind of that, you know, that, that continuous experimentation, which, which, which I love. Well, I love the asterisk. I don't think anybody, um, one, we're not, um, we're not coming to you for parenting advice, but I, I just think that as people discover these little nuggets of things that work, it's at least an opportunity for other folks to say, huh, I can, 
you know, I can try this as an opening in a conversation, maybe not in a koi pond, maybe it's uh, whatever it is, some other thing, but it's a, um, maybe you can find a connection with somebody there. And again, I think people would be envious of, even if it's not all the kids, but one of them spent some amount of time to do this, whether it's because they were at a certain age and they still liked you and they still believe that what you said was true. My daughters are 19. One's about to turn 22 here in just a few days. And the other one's 23 turning 24. And we've gone through those cycles of, um, just love and joy. And, you know, dad and mom's word was, uh, uh, you know, respected and valuable and whatever and wanted to delight in down into pretty sure they were jihadists for a while. Not sure. <laughs> and now they're just kind of sorting it out. You know, we have a moment or two of wisdom, but if we just get out of their way so that they could live their life in our home, eating our food and creating chaos behind them while they go to school, you know, it, it, we would all just get along better. And why does dad have to keep insisting on the rules? You know, my, uh, so, look, I get it. I'm in the fight, too. I, I want to spin to something. So we've been talking about smart homes because you've written on that. But how do we pivot that, pivot that from these sort of, um, you know, individual little consumer boxes? You are the CTO of one of the – and, again, this is not an infomercial for QTS, but one of the, one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing, certainly one of the fastest growing organizations in one of the most um, dynamic – chaotic, challenging, exponential growth areas on earth of any industry in any way. Um, how do you translate the world that we've been talking about in automation and devices and telemetry and this, this interaction into a world that looks like ours? Is there a parallel between them? Is there a, is there a, um, is there a way to apply... Um, the things you're learning at work at home and the things you're learning at home uh, at work. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that, that, that is what powers me and my quest to, to do what we're doing at QTS. And I think what's interesting for us at QTS is, is, you know, we represent a continuum of infrastructure, infrastructure consumers, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, when you think of, you, you said it earlier, like the mom and pop type business who has one cabinet who needs to go do some business process, whatever, versus the hyperscalers you alluded to earlier, doing, you know, buildings and campus-based consumption, the technology that drives, you know, an outcome for each of them is, is, is fundamentally different, mm -hmm. right? So when I sit in, in you know, in my office and, and think and try to come up with different ways, you know, th there's a lot of different areas that I spend time on, right? But, but smart and or, the, and or the outfitting of telemetry to help us make decisions is something that kind of goes across all those customer profiles, as well as kind of that home automation spectrum, which is, mm -hmm. you know, we can't, we can't make decisions. We can't make things smarter unless we know what's happening. Right. And I think a lot of what you do with AI these days is to try to infer what's happening. Hey, I saw this happen and I saw this happen. So this must've happened in the middle. Right. And so we do, we, we make use of that at QTS. And we think that's a really strong thing that we've got to be better at. We've got to, you know, there's a lot of, of AI and work and training and libraries that are coming out daily that, and make that different. But at the end of the day, you know, my, my big belief is that we, we, we are in a, we are in a state of, of growth, as you've said, that, that is, that is, you know, rapid and um, explosive. And to be able to continue to do that without, you know, without exhausting resources or without exhausting human manpower or without, 
technology has to play. And, and that's, you know, that's a decision that Chad and, and myself made, you know, five and a half years ago, which was Chad to go being out. the CEO. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Chad, yeah. our CEO of QTF. Yeah. Um, you know, he was, he was way, way, way ahead. When I, you know, when we presented the, the concept to him and he said, yes, you know, our, our, our expectation was he was going to say, guys, stop, let's just keep <laughs> doing the blocking and tackling. Let's grow this business. Let's keep growing this business. Right. You know, whatever. He made the decision that we needed to be ahead of that kind of telemetry slash ingest slash slash AI slash <clears throat> how do we really use that data to make UTS better? And, and I will tell you that day in and day out, I take that responsibility incredibly seriously mm. to do that and to do it as good consumers of utility, good consumers of gas, good consumers of all those things that we are consumers of, and then provide it back as a service back to our customers so that they can be, at the end of the day, the best consumers. Right? Because they're the ones who ultimately impact that consumption, not us. Mm-hmm. We're a provider and we're a pipe, right? But at the end of the day, the consumer knowing what they can do or what they can't do within an envelope is on them, right? And so I think that kind of that way of thinking came from smart home, came from this idea of like, well, yeah, I can have a black box that did a bunch of things for me, but if I don't know what they're doing, like that's not very fun. And mm-hmm. that's not really, really telling me anything. It's just doing a bunch of things versus opening up the kimono and saying, here you go. Here's everything we've got. Here's everything. Use it. Please use it. That's that kind of space. And then if you kind of, if then you, if you take that a step further and then say, okay, well, how do you marry that to, to new technologies for, you know, for powering these buildings? So can we get off utility? Can we go to things like hydrogen powered uh, generation? Can we go to, you know, can, can we go to natural gas? Is that potentially better? You know, are there ways that we can, we can do things that, 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 that produce a supplier relationship that, in the olden days would have been way too expensive because your capacity that you had to provision versus your utilization, that that you didn't know and you couldn't predict and you didn't really. So, so there's just so much that comes into kind of that got to know what you're talking about first. That's our telemetry story. And we're really, really solid there now. Now it becomes, okay, now that we've got this telemetry, can we come up with concepts? Can we come up with different utilization structures? Can we come up with different powering structures? Can we come up with different cooling method methodology? That's the stuff that's really going to move the dot. Mm. And it's early days for us at QTS on, but we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're industry leading in our freedom design for how we do things in terms of our block designs, how we cool, how we, how we get power distributed, how we do things with an incredibly low PUE, all of that stuff is there, but we've just got a long way to go, but it's all telemetry driven. I've got a couple questions about innovation over there, but before I do that, before I move off of the smart home, I have to know, as you've been on this journey, have you had any snafus, any unexpected consequences? So this isn't directly related, but in my family, my wife was begging for, I think they're called Roombas, the, the vacuum cleaner oh, yeah. that has the station. <clears throat> and um, you could program it for when to start, when to stop. And when we first turned that thing on um, or programmed it, we somehow we programmed it to just on a weekend early morning, not the week, but like a Saturday at 3 a.m. to just kick on. So we wake up to hearing something in the house. We almost have a full 911 event as we go down there to figure it out. And then later, what we discovered is that um, it actually wasn't that it was programming. It's that you could push a button to start it manually. And my main coon would push the button, climb <laughs> on the Roomba, and it was its autonomous vehicle. It would ride it around. That was its thing. So as you built your smart home, 
or these smart devices in your home, have you had any of those uh, events that were uh, unintended consequences that are funny now, but maybe not what you expected? Uh, yeah. And the short answer is, yeah. Um, you know, we, Give us we, one we or had, two. Um, like a, probably the best one because it's got Roomba in it too. And it, this is nothing against Roomba because I right. have the Roomba Jet Bop and I have right. the Roomba S9 Plus vacuum. Love them, love them, love them. They're okay. absolutely... They, you know, we, we, we do not pull out and on our first floor, we do not pull out a vacuum ever. Okay. Right. We, 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 um, but, uh, one, uh, so ours goes off every morning at about 4am does it's loop does the kitchen in our breakfast area just to make sure it's clean for the day. Right. Then it mops it. So we have a vacuum that then is followed <laughs> by Roomba's mop and it's all sequential right. and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Right. Uh, well, one morning, uh, I woke up to a smell that didn't smell quite right coming down. I'm normally the first one down in the morning and I'm walking in the lights again, cause my smart home, they're turning on and I've got, right. I've got good visibility of things, but right. I'm still not quite understanding what it is that I'm smelling. Right. So, uh, I keep walking and I walk into my kitchen and sure enough, there's a film basically on the, on the hardwood floors. I'm like, this doesn't, what, what did, when did the robot, like what? I don't even understand. And then right. I'm like, wait a second, wait, wait, wait a second. What had happened was the Roomba vacuum, my dog had been sick that night, mm. unbeknownst to me, right. and unbeknownst to anybody in the house. The Roomba had decided to drive over said sickness, Right. spread it everywhere, <laughs> finish his job, park himself in the base, right. perfect, and the mop out to go mop the space. The mop decided to push and pull and push and pull all of that content <laughs> into a thin film all over, not only the, you know, the six right. square inch of, of where the, in, where, where the impact zone was, right. It was now all over my entire kitchen. So <laughs> um, I can't really blame the robots. It was dirty and they were trying to clean the dirtiness, right? But they were, they were, uh, they were, and they were actually unequipped uh, technologically to handle that. So I think now they've subsequently come up with more technology that is smart enough to adapt to that situation. But uh, that was not a fun one. Yes. Um, and I would say the other one that, that, that actually happened was my kids are, uh, my kids were just getting, I I don't remember how many seasons there was, but, uh, stranger things. Yeah. Love that show. My, actually my whole family, except for me, loves that show. Yeah. Um, and they were downstairs in the basement, um, watching, uh, an episode of it. And all of a sudden the shades, which are obviously smart home controlled and the lights, the lights started blinking in one room and the shades started going up and down, up and down in another room. <laughs> and so they came running upstairs. I was upstairs in my bedroom with my wife, um, getting ready to go to bed. I was actually asleep. Right. So they came and they're like, funny dad, funny. What are you doing? Funny. And my wife was like, uh, he's been asleep like for like a solid 30 minutes. So like, right. what are you talking about? So she walked down and sure enough, the the shades are still doing, the lights are still right. blinking. And so they woke me up. They're like, funny dad what did you what did you do like we know right. it's you stop what you do right turns out it was in fact me uh, totally not on purpose though i had written new logic in our smart in our smart scenario which was when certain when we have a we have a a, a sensor outside that's a right. weather sensor it's called tempest and it, it counts the lux so the light level and what had happened was something had got had fallen on it and so the light level was flashing so the light level to that it was reading was going from zero to a thousand, zero to a thousand, zero to right. a thousand. So what it was doing was telling my shades, open, close, open, close. And the right. light's the same thing. Lights on, lights off, lights on. Right. It was completely 
the, the code was actually right. It was just right. the sensor was giving me bad data. Right. Um, or giving my, my system yeah. bad data. So it was causing my kids quite, quite the experience. So that is um, hilarious. We've had some fun ones. You always have to work stranger things into it. I, I look, I'm all, I actually enjoy with my wife and kids. Uh, I'm amused that uh, that's not your thing, but for me, it's nostalgia. Cause that was, uh, a time when I grew up listening to the Scorpions and playing D and D and running around. <laughs> I was a little older than those kids at that time, but it was uh, still that era. So, uh, I love fun. the concept of it. I just can't get into it. I'm not a big, I, I, people always get, are so, think it's so strange that me being the nerd that I am, I'm not into sci-fi at all. Like yeah. I don't do sci-fi. I don't do horror. I don't do any of that stuff. Like it just, yeah. if it's not, horror doesn't I don't do know. it for me, but I, I can see with sci-fi, you're like, well, that pff, laws of physics that wouldn't happen. work there. Yeah, that exactly. can't happen. Like it kills me. That's yeah, right. And they that call me a buzzkill. Yeah, you're going like, to use a Z switch for that? Come on. Exactly. Everybody knows a holodeck yeah. has to be a Q quadrant of that, you know, whatever. And you're like, exactly. leave the room. It kills me. Yeah, it kills me. <laughs> Can't hey, it. let me ask you this real quick. We, ju- we just have a few minutes left in the podcast, but I, two things I want to get to. One is, um, what, what the heck is a CTO? You know, you've had a variety of roles and a variety of locations. When you, especially in an organization like the one that you are the CTO in, what, what really, if you could, the big idea, what is the big idea that you're responsible for and that you help your team sort of manage through? Wow. Is this like a job interview? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where you're going with this. I've known you for a very long time and I'm, I'm always amazed at the things that come out of your office and the things that you do. And I just thought, well, you know, a lot of our audience may not know what exactly a CTO is. So let's, uh, what is your interpretation of it? I think CTOs are different in different organizations, depending on what that, what the, you know, what that underlying company is trying, trying to do, Um, you know, inside of QTS, I think it's pretty straightforward, you know, in QTS, we're a real estate company technically. But again, I talked about it earlier, five to seven years ago, Chad made this pivot to, well, let's not be a a wholly a real estate company. Let's be a real estate technology company. And as soon as you put that technology header on something, you got to be able to kind of put up behind it. Um, mm-hmm. and so what my job became was, uh, you know, the digital experience from inside to outside, right? So how do we go and, and how do we go and make all of our systems internally, which isn't really sexy, but it's super important. Mm-hmm. How do you get all of that to work in a cohesive way that delivers, you know, efficiency back to your, to your employees, right? How mm-hmm. do you get them day in and day out doing what they need to do with as little, you know, button pushing and or manual stuff as, as possible? And, you know, we're still, we still have a ton of work to do there, if I'm being completely honest, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're leaps ahead of where others are in the space, but it's just, a, it's a gnarly job. And so my, one part of my CTO hat is to drive that vision, which is guys, mm-hmm. let's, let's go out there and attack every day to get to these streamlined systems and how we deploy that and how we make it all wire together and all that stuff. My, my team's responsibility. So it's one part. Right. On the other side, you've got kind of the software side. We've talked about SDP or we haven't talked about it on this podcast, but we've talked about it previously, which is, you know, technology that we've written. So it's in, in-house technology that QTS has developed in partnership with ServiceNow and others out there, but the majority of the code is our own code. And so, so, so that process and the engine that delivers that comes out of my team, right? So it's the writing of the code. It's the refactoring of the code. It's the ideas that go into them be coded. It's to taking those ideas and making them real. It's to, it's to talking to our customers and understanding what they need. It's to understanding the industry and understanding what the industry needs. A whole lot of telemetry gathering myself mm-hmm. and my team to then create basically products. They're not, you know, 
I get kind of stuck in the semantics of like, is SDP a product or not? We don't charge for it mm-hmm. discreetly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hide behind, well, it's not really a product. Well, it's a product. We spent a lot of capital deploying it or developing it. Right. We continue to develop it every single day. We, I spend probably 50% of my day every day doing stuff related to that. Mm-hmm. So if you take those two verticals and then inside of QTS, it's, it's somewhat unique. We also have operations. So operations is my responsibility. So our technical delivery, so our, we call tech ops, our tech ops functions, because they're technical in nature, we're doing system work. We're doing upkeep of those tools and technology we talked about. Like all of that stuff falls into my team as well. So, you know, inside of QTS, relatively big organization, second largest organization to our development organization, which as Mm -hmm. you'd imagine is our largest Mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a nutshell, it's that. So it's got technology kind of woven into understanding business process, woven in with understanding people dynamics, understanding kind of industry trends, industry, like just being feverishly wanting to understand more about things about things. I'd say that in a nutshell is kind of what I do. Yeah. Um, it's, it amuses me uh, that you say in a nutshell, that's a pretty big nut. Um, uh, let, let, you know, in what, where it stands in contrast, um, and I'd love to hear if, you, if you've got a, to kind of opine on this for a minute. Maybe, maybe this is where we, we wrap up, but it is when people ask me what I do um, or what industry am I in, um, I tell them, well, I'm in the data center industry. And if they know what a data center is, or if they imagine they know what a data center is, they think it's just a, um, it's just a big warehouse building that computers live in, essentially. And they, and they don't have a concept of um, the, the, re, the work needed to make that complex infrastructure work elegantly and, and work hard. One of the things I think that you guys do for all those things you just described, one of the things you try to do is do that and remove um, complexity from the equation because um, complexity introduces risk. It introduces other things. It introduces inefficiency, which is not to say we aren't complex. It just means to the degree that I can get better at accomplishing the same things and removing complexity um, so I don't have it just for the sake of having it. I need four buttons to do what one button could do. And that's a lot of what we've talked about with home automation and the smart home. When you go to articulate what a data center is, not just some big generic building, how do you articulate that to people? I, I'm in this industry and this is what it is physically. And this is the service that it provides. Is that an easy one for the last 10 minutes? No, I, I don't think it's an easy one because it really depends on your audience. Um, you know, when I'm talking to my mom, you know, who is who is a super smart woman, but has never, you know, when she, where she grew up and what she grew up in, didn't understand the internet wasn't around, right? How right. it was powered, these buildings and all that stuff. It's a different story than my dad, who is a, you know, who's who's a who's a lifelong real estate developer, understands land, understands buildings, understands the complexity of building buildings, understands delivering buildings, all of that. It's, it's two and, and those two audiences. And then you add in a third, you know, one of my kids who's like, what in the world? Like, what does dad do? How does he do it? What, like, right. it's just a different audience for everybody. But I think depending on who that audience is, what I like to do is I like to really simplify it. Right. Okay. I pick one of our customers and I say, you know, insert name here, right. Uber, Twitter, whatever, right. you know, everything they do, we power it. Mm. And people say like, wait, what do you mean? So you write, no, no, I don't write any, we don't write any of their platform. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we power it, mm-hmm. right? We give them a platform to put their platform on. 
right? Mm. So I say it's a foundational service to them being able to deliver their service, right? Uber, as that example that I just keep saying randomly, mm-hmm. right? Uber couldn't deliver their service without a provider like us, mm-hmm. right? And so at the end of the day, we are a technology enabler, right? Who just so happens to specialize in a very physical entity known as this data center. And these data centers are incredibly, incredibly complex mm-hmm. with millions and millions of dollars of capital put into them that makes them fundamentally different than any building you're going to find. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things that I remember, I remember, you know, comp- I remember it directly uh, was a conversation I had with my dad and some of his business partners years and years ago. He's going to he's going to regret that he didn't execute on this. But <laughs> I was trying to convince him and his business partners uh, that they should get into the data center space. They should build data centers instead of right. just building these dumb office buildings. Right. Um, and they could not get over the metric of the amount of dollars in capital that goes in to build a data center versus a building. Right. And they, they just couldn't make the leap between, wait a minute, it costs us, a, you know, I'll make up a number, a hundred bucks a square, a square foot to deliver a building. Right. It costs you 10,000 bucks. Like guys, something, we're missing something. Our math is wrong. No, no, no. That's the reality. That's the cost. The right. cost of infrastructure in one of these buildings is not just expensive because it's expensive. It's expensive because it's incredibly, incredibly complex and complete and incredibly, incredibly resilient. Right. right. And all the things that go into then making those individual systems work as one cohesive ecosystem, which is what my team's job is. Right. Is, is, is another step up. So it just depends on the audience, McCall. Right. And, and, and a lot of times I just start with a, Hey, you just, you took an Uber to come see me today. How right. do you think they, how do you think their systems work? You think they just magically have computers that sit like on their, under the desks? Like, right. Oh, and that's, and that's typically how I, how I talk about it. I like to explain to people it's where the ideas of the world live so that Uber data or your Rolling Stone album or whatever, where they save it, Coca-Cola probably doesn't save their formula in a physical safe anymore, although they may also do that. They put it in somebody's data center, theirs, mine, Amazon, somebody's. Um, So it's where the ideas of the world live. And so as you interact with your phone or your device or your telemed or whatever, you are moving in and through a data center to facilitate that. With that, I said that was the last question. Here's the real last question. (laughs) Does that inoculate us then from being more of a commodity item? Because 25 years ago, you know, in the data center business, it was was pretty much a commodity item. It wasn't terribly sophisticated. Um, Now it feels like uh, in order to, you know, in order to have a, almost a software define data center experience an experience um, as a customer to have um, to have your platform perform at the maximum efficiency you have to have this environment that you, we've been talking about all call and does that in some way inoculate us from being a commodity so long as we're in this virtuous development cycle um I, I, the short answer is i'd say yes uh okay. the longer answer is you know i think as you talk about commodities and i like to compare us a little more to like kind of the utility model okay which is you know do we get in a situation where you just you plug in here versus you plug in there and the power looks the same right um i i don't think so i think the reality is we will continue to innovate and continue to kind of uh get to a point where it's not just power right as to your point it's not just power it's not just cooling it's the technology that sits on top of that that you then plug in with it's like like having that second plug where you plug in the power, that's great. But until you initialize this next step, you're not really getting use of that power. Right. right. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes in my head, like 
when people look like at a cockpit of a plane, they see all these switches and dials and buttons are like, what does all that do? Like, right. how, how, do, how do two pilots flip all those things to make like an experience, like whatever. Right. And to me, it's the same experience. Like they, there's jet fuel in the, in the plane. Right. And if it was only jet fuel to get that plane to go, it'd be really easy. Right. But it's not, it needs a pilot and needs all these switches and needs all this technology and needs hydraulics and needs all, all that stuff. It's the same thing with a data center. Mm. Data centers aren't as easy as a utility where you just plug in and off they go. Right. right? People like to compare like the Bitcoin mining and stuff where they're like, wait, I could just deploy these little pods. I just plug them in and off they go. Yeah. Those plugs and those pods are delivered on compute. That's very specific async modules. It's very specific workloads. So that is commoditized and the compute there is commoditized and it is a utility, but in what customers are doing where all the workloads are different and all the consumption is different, the tooling around it has to be, well, I flip this switch and then I flip that switch and then I flip this one to the negative, that one to the, and I have an experience. And that's where QTS is just fundamentally different. You don't just plug in with QTS. You plug in and then you have your switches. You plug in and then you use those switches to optimize your flight. We're going to fly at 36,000 feet versus 46,000 feet because we don't like the clouds here or whatever, mm. right? That's that's the QTS difference that I think guards us from that commoditization discussion of 20 years and guards us from that utility, that utility discussion. Mm. Somewhere in between is probably right. We want to be utilitarian. We want to be as e the easy button. So we mm -hmm. want you to be able to just plug in. Or right. we want you to be smart enough to use the technology that we spent all this money and all this time and customers have validated is important to them. Hence why we've grown the way we've grown, right? That's kind of the next step to that. Right. I think it, I love your airplane analogy. Like we, they don't need to look in the cockpit and worry about it. Come in, sit down, get your service, enjoy your Enjoy your uh, TV in front of you. Enjoy all these other things. Relax. We'll get you there. In the meantime, up on the other side of that secure door, we're doing all the other things. And not only are we doing the things there, but the 10,000 hours of training, flight safety, emergency recovery, the support teams that are on the ground to swap things out or recover things as needed. Um, you don't need to worry exactly. about that. Just go sit and down and enjoy the flight. Yeah. And people have tried for years to make the argument that with the amount of money that the federal government gives to airlines and things like that, that why don't they become like a utility, which is you just consume to a service and you use them. Right. right? And and obviously that wouldn't work. They're independent companies and all that. Right. So there's been a million problems with that. Right. But the same principle exists. They will never become commodities because they all have secret sauce to doing what it is they do that takes that instrument, the plane, and makes it different. Right? right. And so that's the same thing that we're doing. Our plane is fundamentally different. Our plane has a lot more switches. Our plane has a lot more dials. Our experience at 37,000 feet is smoother than provider B. Right? right. That's the whole concept. That's why I use the plane analogy every once in a while. I love it. Thank you very much for the conversation. Um, Brent Benston, QTS Data Center CTO. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Hey, and if you've enjoyed this conversation, please like. And if you loved it, please subscribe share, comment. We'll see you next time, everybody on the QTS experience. Take care.